Welcome to the Property Voice Podcast, helping you to navigate safely through the world of property investing. Get the lowdown and updates, insights and outcomes on all matters property with a splash of entertainment along the way. The Property Voice, a voice to trust among the crowd. Now, let's get started with your host, Richard Brown. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Property Voice podcast. My name is Richard Brown and as always, it's a pleasure to have you join me again on the show today. We conclude our series on the investment property lifecycle today by taking a look at the final stage, our exit. As you recall, the four stages of the property investment lifecycle are acquire, finance, works and exit. And as Stephen Covey says, we should begin with the end in mind. And so having a clear picture of our exit before we venture forward to even acquire an investment property is essential. Like many aspects of property investment, there are several moving and interrelated parts and that we need to weigh up all at the same time. The process of looking at an individual investment property and its full life cycle is no different, different therefore. And as you shall note, our exit has a bearing on the acquisition, financing and potentially also the works aspects of our investment property. We shall share share another acronym in our main discussion today and to help us stay on track when it comes to our exit plans. In addition, we have your voice with another great five-star review, which ends in the phrase, thank you, Richard, for kicking my backside which should at least intrigue you as to why, (laughs) along with a couple of great resources aimed at making operating globally easier, which comes in the shout-out. Here we go then, our main topic for today, staying on track with our investment property exit plans. Okay, so let's get on with this week's featured topic with Property Chatter. As I mentioned, many of the many of the stages rather of the investment property life cycle are related to each other. We should therefore consider each in turn, but equally consider how they relate to one another as well. They're not isolated steps to be considered alone and should be considered as a collective. In order to assist us in looking at this final stage of the life cycle, I've come up with a simple acronym to make sure we stay on track when considering our exit options. Yes, it's the word track, and this is what it stands for. The T is for timescale. So here is what are the different timescales involved with each alternative exit option that we've identified? For example, will it be a quick in and out, best suited to a flip? Or will it be part of a long-term legacy, which we're going to plan to leave for our heirs beyond us? The R is for returns. What are my potential returns from each route we, we could take here? What are the KPIs for each route identified and do they meet our minimum criteria in each case? Can we live with each one if we had to, say if circumstances change or something like that? The A is for alternative target markets. Who will this property most appeal to? If it's more than one group, we should describe each one. We need to be able to clearly see who will live in in or own the property once we've completed our project. Is it going to be a tenant? And if so, what kind of tenant? Would it be a family, a couple, a single, and so on? Could it be a homeowner? And if it is, would it be a first-time buyer, a second stepper, a retiring couple, and so on? 
Similarly, could it be another investor who might be looking to convert the property, adapt it, rent it out or flip it on themselves, say? So there's many different alternative target markets uh, that we should be considering from the, from the outset to plan our exit. The C in track is for context. And here what I'm driving at is what is the current state of the property market at the time we're looking to undertake the project and how does this impact my decision now? How does my current portfolio look and where does this opportunity fit into that, if at all? If we're in a depressed market, say, with, with a squeeze on credit, how appealing could this be to, a buyers, to buyers requiring a mortgage, say? Or if we currently own a large number of single-let units in a concentrated area, how easy is it going to be to manage an outlier of an HMO in a different part of the country, say? This is the context, the, the overall um, uh, direction and backdrop, if you like, that we need to take into consideration. The K in track is for knowledge and resources, because I didn't want an extra R in there. <laughs> knowledge and resources. What, what is my level of skill, experience and access to resources to make this project a success at this very moment in time? Do I have the funds available to fulfill uh, all potential plans with the property? For example, a full refurbishment or conversion will require heavy cash resources and a large amount of concentrated time and effort. Similarly, does ploughing into the latest property buzzword or trend best suit my current experience, risk appetite and skill levels right at this moment in time? These, these questions under the acronym of TRACK are designed to get us thinking about the property and our ability to achieve certain results at any given, given point in time. And even if we have a very clear and focused strategy, such as, say, buying city centre new build flats, for example, by asking these questions, we can start to see that at certain times, it is possible that proceeding with this planned strategy may not always be the wisest thing to do. So in this example, think about the, the glut of city centre apartments that existed in many regional cities in 2008-2009, for example, once the credit crunch had taken hold. So having a reference point to fall back on can help us have more of a considered decision and approach to our exit, exit options on each occasion and we're considering uh, what to do with each individual investment property. So stay, keep in mind track and, uh, and we won't go far, far wrong. So what is a time scale, the returns that we're looking to expect, the alternative target market, the context that we, we find ourselves in at this very moment and our current level of knowledge and resources open to us. And now that we've, we've had some general considerations to weigh up, let's have a look at the most common exit options for an individual investment property. Now, quite simply, there are three and a half exit options that we can consider. Bear with me. I'm going to make a little bit of sense when I talk about the half in a second. So the, the three main ones are going to be sell. We're going to sell the property on. And that could be now or later. Alternatively, we could rent it out. Uh, so to who and on what terms? And the third main option is to give it away. And that could be an inheritance, lifetime gift or a good cause donation, you know, for example. And the half, I guess, is a hybrid. So that could be a combination of two or more of the above options, perhaps even staggering them over time. So as I mentioned, the three main options are basically to sell, to rent out or give it away. Try and keep it simple. Let's just have a look at these in turn now, shall we? Let's start with selling. Now, selling, there's a few few alternatives and variations that we can consider. And um, I'm going to use the, 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 I'm going to start with direct sales routes. 
This is where we sell a property directly to a buyer via either the open market, an open market sale, or potentially an off market sale and potentially using an agent of some description as well. So when I say direct, I, it's really the idea it's between us and, and directly the buyer of the property. We may use an agent to help us get there. So direct sales route either on the open market with places like Rightmove and estate agents and that kind of thing, or an off-market transaction which could be using um, some form of deal source or that kind of thing, a buyer's agent maybe. An indirect sales route is really where we may be acting as some kind of middleman and this could be with strategies such as wholesaling. And we could wholesale one or several properties. It could be an assignment of a right to buy a property, such as with an off-plan property, say, where we perhaps enter into the contract during the build phase, but we, we assign it on to another buyer during that period of time before legal ownership takes place. It could even be an assisted sale. So we don't even step into the legal uh, purchase chain. In this case, we just help somebody else to sell that property on to a third party. Now, some of these options could mean that we, we never even own the property at all, as I've mentioned. So that's what I mean, really, by the indirect sales route. The next category, I suppose, could be what I'm going to call gradual vendor finance sales alternatives. And here the idea is that we will sell the property eventually. <laughs> now, if you consider things like lease options, tenant buyer contracts, installment contracts, and delayed completion, these are all types of uh, contractual arrangement where often the sale takes place in stages or after a set period of time in the future instead. Now, doing this can bring several benefits, such as better pricing, for example, or alternative tax treatment, and that kind of thing. So what, that's why we might want to consider doing those kind of options. Just to pick one as an example, a tenant buyer. Imagine a rental property where we don't really have any repair and maintenance costs and that we, we do have a preset buyer who will buy that property, look after it in the meantime, won't have any voids, uh, won't have any uh, turnover of tenants and that kind of thing. So there's a number of benefits why we might actually wish to do that. Of course, it does mean we'll eventually sell that property to that tenant buyer, providing they can raise the funds in the, in the agreed point in time. But there's a lot of merit in doing that, and it takes away agents, it takes away the repairs and maintenance, and the hassle, really, of running that property. So that's what I mean. And so it's a gradual uh, sale over time, or at least a sale at a preset point in time. And I guess the other alternative we could look at is, is a partial or consolidated disposal. So kind of two, two ends of the same coin really. And this can apply to either a single property or to a collection of different properties instead. And what do I mean? So if you consider a joint venture, a joint venture arrangement where we bring somebody in. So that's an example where we're partially disposing potentially of a property asset. Or what about retention of a freehold? So here what we could do is, is, is maybe convert a block of flats or property into flats, uh, keep, keep the freehold for ourselves but dispose of all the individual flats. So we're partially disposing it. I mean, it's probably a large part of the property we're disposing of and we're just retaining the freehold as an asset. Alternatively, we could put uh, either a single property or several properties into a company structure and sell shares instead. So we sell off part of that uh, particular asset or portfolio. And indeed, we can in dispose of our entire portfolio as well instead. So consider the, the Wilsons, which is the most notable uh, story of late, where disposing of an entire portfolio. Imagine putting that into some sort of structure like a limited company and disposing of it. And you probably get the idea that it's a consolidated uh, disposal of, a, of an entire portfolio. 
So having an awareness of the different possibilities can help us to apply a creative approach here, potentially freeing up funds for further investment and or retaining part of an asset or certain assets to preserve some interest in a project or indeed a portfolio. So that was selling. The next uh, category is renting. So here we've got a couple of options. So of course renting is uh, the first thing to look at is long-term rental income returns. And here we plan to derive an income from the property by renting it out over the most over rather most likely a long period of time. And I guess this is conventional buy to let as most of us would uh, would understand it. However, another alternative here is to use equity from the property to expand our portfolio. And whilst, whilst we may retain the property and re rent it out, we can also consider refinancing the property either after adding value or once the value has increased enough over time to allow it. And then we'd reinvest the proceeds to further grow the portfolio. And this was an extremely popular approach probably until more recent times. However, with some of the changes made to interest relief for investors buying in a personal name, care needs to be taken with this approach going forward uh, because we may not be able to offset all of the interest charges uh, going forward. But very simply, if we do the calculation of uh, the cost of borrowing versus the, the return on investment of reinvesting, as long as one is higher than the other, and we need to take account of this uh, interest relief uh, part of the equation now as well, then you know that's quite a good way of expanding our portfolio. Similarly, we could release equity for income purposes instead. So the last example was releasing equity to further grow. Here it's releasing equity to substitute for income instead. As with releasing equity uh, for expansion purposes, we can also release equity for income purposes instead. So here, what we're going to do is just to refinance the property and then take the equity that comes out as an income replacement instead of investing it instead. In the last example, what we'd be doing is generating an, uh, or using the equity rather to generate an additional earning asset by reinvesting the equity released. Here, though, we don't release or sorry, we don't replace the withdrawn equity at all. All we're doing is we're living off the proceeds. And a number of people were advocating this as a strategy uh, going forward, you know, releasing equity every five to ten years of, uh, as property prices increase. But right now, I would suggest this, is, this could be quite a tricky strategy as, the, again, the restrictions on mortgage in interest relief could leave an additional debt burden, burden rather, uh, and costing us quite a bit of uh, money in tax. There is another thing which could catch us out here is that if as long if we um, refinance above the perch, original purchase price of the property, if we ever came to sell that property, we might end up in a situation where once we've cleared the mortgage, we might not have enough money left over to pay any capital gains tax that we might have uh, might might be incurring. So I know a lot of people who advocate this strategy say they advocate never selling. But sometimes you, you might be forced into a sales situation. So it, it, does, it does need careful consideration whether you're going to plan this particular one. And finally, under this heading, I wanted to mention deleveraging to e, uh, either increase income and or reduce our debt levels. Now, if we do not need the income in the short term, you know, from rental income, that is, such as if we're still in employment, say, then we could simply use the excess rental income to pay down our debts instead. Or we could use additional savings outside of the property investment to do the same thing. Now, the result here would be lowering our loan to value, 
which should eventually also mean lower costs of borrowing as well as we, we move down the loan-to-value food chain from 75% to 60% it's and 50% and so on. So usually you get a better interest rate if you have a lower loan-to-value, so it can help in that respect. But equally, it should, as we're paying down the, the, uh, the debt burden, uh, allow for higher rental profits as well. And if we, we continue to do this, it will create what we call a snowball effect when applying this approach. We keep paying down the debt, we keep reducing our debt levels, we keep increasing our rental income levels, and we can carry on doing it and paying it down at an accelerated rate. Now, there are many investors that have maybe just one or up to, say, three investment properties. So not a, not a large portfolio. But if they just keep, if they focus on paying down the debt, they can end up with uh, even nearly or totally unencumbered properties and a decent income to either fund fully or supplement their lifestyle, you know, somewhere down the track. And this is a very effective pension substitute option for property investing. So we don't all necessarily need to take over the world and have hundreds of properties to be able to to have a comfortable uh, future. We could just have between one and three properties, uh, aim to pay down that debt, and then we'll have uh, no debt burden and high rental income that we could rely on instead. And don't forget, it's going to be the tenants primarily who are going to be actually paying that debt down for us. Of course, it does rely on us having an income outside of the property portfolio to keep in mind. So we've considered um, selling, we've considered renting. The third option is really to give it away. And uh, there's two main ways we can give away property. One is through inheritance, and this is where we hand over to our heirs upon our death. And I guess this is the ultimate exit in reality. And when we pass on our properties to our beneficiaries, we should also consider the tax position and the lending situation that our, in, uh, our heirs rather may also inherit. And so there, this may need some careful planning and advice to get it right, therefore. I guess we don't want to land them with a burden of not even not being able to get financing or the tax bill is so dramatic and needs to be paid so quickly that it leaves them high and dry. So that's what I'm driving at, really. Of course, the alternative to leaving as an inheritance is to give during a lifetime, a lifetime gift. And this is really where we, we give it away. And we might do that, potentially leave, you know, using a vehicle or a wrapper to do so. And this could be a, a trust, for example, or even a company structure. Uh, and this is quite common with um, you know people who want to leave things in their family to either set up a, a trust or a company structure where it can be passed on, the property can be passed on um, to, to people in the generations uh, that follow. Again, though, there are several potential implications of doing this for both parties. And so professional advice is also recommended here. Now, as I mentioned previously, we may also have a hybrid of some of these different options, such as, for example, renting it for a time and then selling it later. So we're combining, obviously, renting and selling here. And this could be used to, say, convert profit on sale from income tax to capital gains tax instead, which could be beneficial because a straight sale was gonna, is going to end up as a trading activity and subject to income tax. Whereas if we rent the property for a time and then subsequently sell it on, um, usually wouldn't be classed as a trading activity. And if we own the, the property personally, uh, or indeed for a company, that'd be classed as a capital gain rather than income tax and be subject to slightly different tax treatment. Similarly, we could rent it for a time and then give, give the property as part of our estate to help family members or good causes during, you know, during our lifetime, lifetime rather, or afterwards. So having considered the main exit options that are normally available to us, let's have a, a quick word on tax, holding, and transaction costs. Firstly, with taxation. 
I've only really mentioned taxation briefly in passing so far. And the reason for this is that it's a complex and very personal matter. And it one, is one that requires careful consideration and advice based on your own personal situation. However, as you can see from the, the, very, the, the small number of references that I've made, there are ways of doing things that can alter the after-tax effect of our investment returns, whether that's for us or for people inheriting property uh, from us. So the best thing to do here really is to get professional advice on tax, but also to weigh up our pre- and post-tax position and how the different taxes will, will be affected by each option taken. So I know I'm, I'm introducing a level of complexity here. Uh, you could treat everything as pre-tax and just ignore taxation. And I certainly am not one who advocates doing everything just for the tax benefits. But you know, just having one eye on the tax position is definitely worth, uh, worth keeping in mind. So next is the holding costs. Now, holding costs are the costs involved in retaining a property for any period of time. And uh, they can include things like finance interest charges. And if you've not got a mortgage, you probably should be looking at the opportunity cost of using your own funds instead. In other words, how much interest could you earn by putting that money to use elsewhere? So there is still a cost, whether it's a real one from a finance uh, entity or an opportunity cost for foregoing interest and uh, earnings that you could uh, achieve on that money elsewhere. Aside from, from that, you've got things like council tax, insurance, maintenance and repair costs, utility bills, which could be gas, electric, water, but possibly also telephone and broadband and that kind of thing. Letting agent fees could come into the equation, as indeed professional fees, particularly legal and accountancy fees. And indeed, you could actually have some furnishing costs or home staging costs, potentially if you're going to showcase for a sale. So there's a number of holding costs that we, we need to factor in uh, into our evaluation and decision making when considering the different exit options. Similarly to holding costs, there are also transaction costs, and these are costs associated with doing a property, a, sorry, a property deal, and will need to be taken into consideration along with the other factors mentioned. Now they could be linked to buying and selling, but also applying for finance, and they could include things like stamp duty or SDLT, legal valuation and professional fees, listing fees and sales commissions broker and lending application, renewal and repayment charges or early repayment charges as the case may be, and agent application fees. So there's a bit of crossover here obviously with the holding costs, but there's elements that fall into holding costs and elements that fall, hold into transaction costs, but you get the picture. Now these costs, they all add up and they represent a fair chunk of our profit, particularly if we're buying and selling or financing frequently. And it's surprising how much they end up, you know, add, adding up or, you know, and, and how much uh, some investors can get caught out by overlooking or indeed underestimating some of these costs. And this is one of the reasons why I personally seek decent double digit returns on, say, short term flip projects. And to give you some sort of context, on a recent project I was looking at, the combined holding and transaction costs alone amounted to 25% of my gross profit before any costs of works were taken into consideration. So it was a fair chunk of money. So there we have it, the exit phase of the investment property lifecycle. We started by looking at some of the general questions that we can use to help us in our initial thinking by using the questions posed under the TRACK acronym. And then we looked at the three and a half main ways of ex exiting an investment property deal, which is primarily sell, rent or give away.
And then we looked at some of the variations that can be applied under each of those headings. Finally, we considered some of the associated issues that arise from our property deal exit, such as taxation, holding and transaction costs. Adding it all up then, we have quite a few things to keep in mind to make the best decision to suit our circumstances. The good news, however, is that we get, as we get more proficient at looking at investment property deals, we do develop systems and methods to simplify this stage. For example, personally, I have a spreadsheet model that has several different exit options included within it. So it'll look at refinancing, it'll look at selling, it'll look at a straightforward buy-to-let, for example. And it also tracks all the associated holding and transaction costs in each case. Now, as far as tax taxation rather is concerned, I have professional advisors that guide me on this as far as my portfolio and property business uh, is concerned and as it develops over time. But I hope you can see that the linkage between all of the various stages, having completed the full cycle, um, they're, they're, they are linked together and there's a, there's a codependency, if you like. You can also probably see that all the three general cycles that we've covered in this series are very much interrelated. We've got the overall property cycle, of course, at the macro level. We've got our own individual portfolio development cycle at the midi level. And of course, we've got the individual investment property cycle that we've been covering of late. Um, and so, if you like, there are three concentric circles where there's a lot of overlap, if you think about it. And that is why I wanted to share this series, drawing all three of them together into what is essentially a strategic approach to our investment activities. I hope you found these discussions useful over the course of this series. And I will let you know what we can look forward to a little later on in the show. However, right now, let's find out why I think I've been thanked, rather, for a kick it up the backside. Up next is your voice. It's all about you and your property world. Well, we're going to return with another listener review today in your voice. And this time it's a five-star review from Haikikel. Well, hope, hopefully that's the right way of saying it. And he says, giving time freely, five stars. I had a mini strategy review with Richard. What's the catch, I thought. I found out that there was no catch at all. Richard, Richard went through my present cir circumstances and where I was on the property ladder. There were many emails that were exchanged. Richard went through step by step with me. He was frank and to the point. No holding back on being nice. Real hard hitting and to the point. A bit of a shake-up for me and getting to reality. Gone back and had a good talk through with myself. Decisions to be made. Thank you, Richard, for kicking my backside. <laughs> well, oh, you don't often see a review like that, but uh, I had to laugh. And um, so I'm laughing really to some extent when I saw this review. As we had an exchange of emails over time, as you can gather from the, from the review itself. And uh, he asked me to give him that kick up the backside, in fact. Uh, in other words, he, he wasn't looking for a warm and friendly, you are doing a great, uh, great job kind of response. He really did want a between-the-eyes assessment of, the, of his situation. So in my defence, I was given permission for the said uh, butt-kicking here, <laughs> I can tell you. Now, uh, Heikikel and I exchanged notes on his current position and his future strategy which I hoped um, has helped him with his next steps. And this is, uh, this is something I did on a casual basis for him, but equally it's something I also do on a, form, a more formal basis. And if this is something that you know, might be interesting to you in any way, just drop me a note, podcast at thepropertyvoice.net, and we can have a chat. I don't always give people a kick at the backside, you know, though. So sometimes the odd arm round the shoulder works equally well, I've found as well. 
So don't be afraid. Anyway, please do keep those reviews coming in, won't you? I, I love to hear how the show is impacting your property journey. Meanwhile, let's share a couple of resources next, shall we? And now, where you can go for more great resources with a shout out. Now, today's shout out is related to language translation, which I have found to be increasingly more important and useful in recent times. So the first mention has to go to the Google Translator app. And this is a neat little app that you can get on your phone and it allows, uh, it allows you to translate between different languages as you might expect from the name. However, it also has a text-to-speech and speech-to-text uh, feature as well. Then there's an amazing little feature where you can just use your phone camera to read text in one language and see it translated before your eyes in your home language, which is great for reading menus, signage and other documents written in a foreign language I found. So check that one out, it's pretty good. Then we've got a rather familiar app, but with a, you know, a rather recent twist. Pretty much everyone will have heard of Skype by now, I'm sure. Many, many of us will have used it as well. But in an increasingly competitive landscape for vo voice over IP telecoms or VoIP telecoms, which now includes services from WhatsApp, Viber and even Facebook now, Skype has seen its position from the go-to free internet service uh, or call service provider under threat. Now, to be fair, Skype has some other useful features like an ability to make and receive calls from non-VoIP numbers, voicemail, your own dedicated inbound number, conference calling, video calling, amongst other things. But they now just gone and released uh, Skype Translator as well. Now, I first heard about this a little while ago as they were trialing it. And uh, there was a, a great little story of uh, two schools. Well, I think one was in Mexico and one was in the US. So there, there's a translation taking place instantly between English and Spanish uh, speaking children. And, um, you know, I was really fascinated by it. But they've now released the full version, at least for the desktop version of Skype. I'm not sure if it's available on the mobile version just yet, but certainly on the desktop version. And basically what it does, it translates a call from one language spoken by the one caller into another language whilst you're on the call. So think about the UN and the EU translation services, and it's a little bit like that. Although you just you haven't got someone actually speaking into your uh, into your headset, it's actually done by the technology. So it's uh, it's pretty cool, I'd say. Uh, now I haven't fully road tested it as yet, but uh, I don't know if you have. But let me know if you have, and uh, or may maybe if you speak a different language, may maybe we can give it a try and road test it that way. Maybe we can talk about property in your home language for a, for a little while if you like. So let me know if that's uh, that's appealing. So there we go. There's just a, a couple of useful language apps that I've uh, I've stumbled across and been using recently. And uh, I think they're very practical and becoming ever more necessary in our global reach economy. Check them out. Anyway, as I mentioned earlier, today's episode brings our second series on the investment property life cycle uh, or on property cycles rather to an end. And I'm planning another complete series uh, of the show a little bit later on. However, I'm, I'm going to take a little bit of a holiday over the next few weeks, I think. So yes, I'm going to be away, but uh, rather than leave you without your weekly fix of the Property Voice podcast, I have some short episodes planned for you over the next few weeks. And I'm going to call these episodes Sound Bites. And as they will be short and sweet topics without being a full-on podcast episode as such. 
So look out for those, and uh, and then we'll have a few of the the longer, slightly longer musing episodes again. If you remember what they are, they're just really where I'm going to talk about something uh, something in property that's top of top of mind, if you like, in a little bit more detail. But it'll have all the other sh- uh, features of the show, such as your voice and shout out, whereas the soundbite is going to be very short and sweet, and they're not going to have the extra features to it. And then we'll be bringing you the third series of the Property Voice podcast soon after that, where we're going to go into the nitty gritty on a particular theme as we have in the first two series of the podcast. Now, I need to do a little bit more planning on that to make sure I get it right. And in fact, I've not even finalized the third series theme as yet. So if you still want to influence that, there is still some time to do so. Just drop me an email. And as always, we can start a conversation podcast at thepropertyvoice.net. Meanwhile, as ever, the show notes for today's show are going to be over at the website, thepropertyvoice.net. But I just want to say thanks very much for joining me in this second series. I've, uh, I have some exciting news on the horizon, actually, that I cannot wait to share with you. So just make sure you listen out over the next few weeks to find out what that's all about. However, for now, as always, I would like to say thanks very much for listening once again. And until this time next week on the Property Voice podcast, it's ciao, ciao. Thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list. Join us next time on the Property Voice podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes.